0: Welcome to the official Espigan podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Neisley. Not all of you were able to attend the May 2023 Espigan annual meeting in Vienna. Well, you missed a treat. You missed a lot of treats. But the treat that Dr. Tobias Kantz and I are about to share with you is his talk his talk on organoids and how they can be used not simply to explore hepatocellular pathophysiology, or for that matter normal physiology, or cholangiocyte pathophysiology, or for that matter normal physiology, but also as the organoids themselves grow more complex and encompass more cell types, how they can be used to provide the discoveries about these basic processes and how they go wrong, that underlie some of the changes that are going to be taking place in how pediatric hepatologists and gastroenterologists treat their patients. Tobias, you started out in Heidelberg, and then um, is it a, a love for the letter H that led you to move to Hanover?
1: Um, maybe it was, but it was also the very much interest in hepatology, which again starts in age. There's an age for you. And um, I was always keen in in understanding um, the most important metabolic organ in our body and um, all the things about getting things done in the liver, removing toxins um, from the body, and kind of fine tuning. The metabolic activity during activity and resting. And I think it's a fascinating organ. It's, it's the most important organ in the body, to my, um, to, to my firm belief. And I'm, I think it was the age of hepatology that brought me to Hanover.
0: The joke works in German as well as in English. What is life without the liver? Yeah. Or <laughs> das Leben ohne die Leber. Yeah. So, but organoids. Okay. Did you start as a physiologist in um, in vitro systems? or
1: No, actually, I'm a medical doctor by training, and um, I was always also very interested in, in let's say, medicine with, with the patients and internal medicine. And um, my feeling was just that, that the gastroenterology and the hepatology is one of those topics that will further develop in the upcoming years. So when I was fresh um, yeah, starter in the clinics um, 25 years back or so. I, I thought that um, this would be a very important field with a lot of things ahead and I'm, I think I'm not mistaken um, and I just wanted to combine um, basic research as well as patient treatment and I did so starting in Hanover in the transplant center taking care about the patients on the waiting list or those has been, who have been transplanted and then getting some trouble or not, and while I was doing so, I was um, getting interested in stem cell biology, stem cells as um, potential therapeutic for treating liver diseases. So back then in the early 2000 years, there was uh, quite some hype on stem cell-derived cellular transplants for liver disorders, and I tried to contribute to that one. And getting this as a starting point, I was also then interested in working with pluripotent stem cells um, that have the ability to Give rise to all cell types of the body, which which offers a lot of more opportunity in cellular biology, and I did a kind of a postdoc training in the Max Planck Institute in Münster with Hans Schöler, and there I was really then in touch in the, the field of induced pluripotent stem cells and getting liver cells out of these.
0: Getting liver cells from pluripotent stem cells—that is, taking fibroblasts or some other cell type, differentiating them, using Um, those famous six factors, then going on to create in those cells through genetic manipulation, now that we have CRISPR, a genocopy of a patient's own disorder and seeing how those cells behave in vitro, or rather in culture in vitro, and trying to extrapolate from that to how they behave in the patient drawing the parallels and noting the differences have i got that right
1: yeah that's that's exactly the, t- the case so i think most of you remember dolly the sheep which was created from just one single fibroblast or so and then i think the reprogramming to to get a fibroblast into something that which is a basically totipotent entity that then could serve like a like a fertilized egg in developmental biology, that that I think this was one of the breakthroughs. And it was then a Japanese researcher Shinya Yamanaka who then invented this, let's say, less um, complex um, reprogramming using just four factors and getting the, those somatic cells into pluripotent stem cells. And this, I think, re- really was a strong revolution for the en- entire field of patient-directed um, research. Because we now have the opportunity to get those pluripotent stem cells from a patient blood sample, so usually there would be just one one regular um, um, blood um, sample good enough to, to get those ten thousand cells that we would need for the starting of the reprogramming, and then we have a. Long-lived, uh, self-renewing cell source that can be genetically changed, as you mentioned, and that would mimic the mimic the um, patient um, genotype. Um, and if we differentiate the cells into those derivatives, that we are interested in, also the patient's phenotype. And Maybe one step back to the to the CRISPR-Cas technology, which is a second important revolution in the field. We now have quite easy tasks to genetically manipulate um, those pluripotent stem cells. Because they are self-renewing, we can easily grow subclones of the very same cell line. So we have syngenaic controls. So we now have similar opportunities as knock in mouse, knock-out mouse models, um, which takes a lot of time to generate. We just can now do these um, knockouts, knock ins in pluripotent stem cells as well with even human and patient derived materials. And then, of course, you can take
0: those uh, modified pluripotent stem cells and use them to do another dolly to transform them into embryos, yes?
1: So that's actually not our expertise, but I think that's that's also people are interested in doing that, or let's say better understanding the very early steps of developmental biology and to kind of get those pluripotent stem cells into something they call or we call extended pluripotency, which would allow also to get the ectodermal cells, so not only the inner cell mass of the embryo, but also the outer-lying um, trophectoderm, and then have this kind of aggregated embryos grown in vitro and, and maybe yeah also going to later stages that, that would then also mimic um, early embryogenesis. Um, I think this is a field also very far away, um, but this tells us that yeah reproduction might not necessarily be really linked to the classical understanding of germ cells, but with um, this, this aggregation of, of cell types, one maybe one once a time can generate like, like this type of aggregated embryos that, that are in research as well. So it's, it's a kind of very yeah, difficult um, to handle research environment, and um, it's, there are strong ethical discussions also about the future outline of that type of research.
0: Well you're at the cutting edge, I'm sure for that. Here is. I mention all this only because in my medical school class was Hiromitsu Nakauchi, whose name, of course, you know. Yeah, He has a particular interest in that aspect of uh, stem cell biology and, and reprogramming. But I've allowed this conversation to drift away from the uses of stem cells and particularly of organoids in hepatology. Tell us something of what you've been doing along those lines. Tell us something about what, tell, tell, the, tell the listeners what the high points are, the, the raisins out of the stolen f- from your talk.
1: OK, what I I'm, I'm present is that we are now able to grow hepatic cells, mainly hepatocytes, in a three-dimensional way, which allow us a better cellular-cellular interaction Um, so hepatocytes with hepatocytes probably also hepatocytes with cholangiocytes and and some other cell types and depending on the pathophysiology or the physiological aspects that we are interested in we have to kind of Mm -hmm. take different protocols to grow these organoids but um, more recently we became really interested in hereditary intrahepatic cholestasis syndromes um, where transport defects um, alter the transport of bile salts or phospholipids or other compounds that are secreted um, into the bile. And um, to to mimic these models, we have two very important prerequisites. We have to have a basolateral to apical polarization of the cells, so that, that the cells can take up substances, modify them, metabolize them, and excrete them. And the metabolic function of the cells must be strong enough, must be pure enough to to authentically uh, modulate this. So there are a lot of pathways involved also in, in getting the, the metabolic um, machinery up and running. Mm-hmm. And if, if we have a very simplified cell models then probably these pathways wouldn't be regulated in a proper way. And to do so, now the pluripotent stem cell-derived hepatic organ, it's reached kind of a level that allows us to model this disease in a... Yeah, amazingly um, close. Um, Call it lifelike. Yeah, <laughs> maybe lifelike fashion. And that's, that's really fascinating. Um, and I, I really like the things that we can do right now.
0: Give our listeners some examples of those raisins out of the cake, some instances of the uses of these organoids in sorting out either individual patients' problems or indeed the mechanisms of an entire disorder. I'm thinking, for example, about KIF-12, that microtubule sorter. Have I got that right about what it does?
1: Yeah, it's also one protein that is important in getting the polarity of the cells actually done. And um, so it's it's associated to the KIF-12 mutations to to a couple of disorders, microvilli-associated diseases, and um, also probably to cholestasis. And um, Amelie Stahlke, who is a geneticist and pediatrician in, in our Hanover Medical School, she got a very interesting case, or so she, she kind of analyzed a couple of cases in the recent past and we contributed to the study to better understand the molecular underlyings of the disorder. And this already tells you that, that the, the establishment of the polarity is as one of the key components, as I mentioned. And our models nowadays allow us to alter these um, genes and, and to better understand which type of alterations cause a severe defect or a less pronounced de- defect. And um, then using also some fluorescent substrates, we are now able to visualize the transport processes and also to yeah, semi-quantify those um, transporter activities, which then give us the opportunity or opens the door to to screen for drugs that would either support um, the um, transport function um, or maybe the post-transcriptional modulation of their respective proteins to to get them actively um, done or actively localized in the right membrane domain. And um, these things are very, very interesting to study in in such liver organoid models.
0: Well, you sorted that out, and I think it was a total of six patients, six patients with KIF-12 variants. And you found... As far as I could tell, in looking at your slides, um, the transporters were more or less localized appropriately, but there were possibly problems with some of the underlying um, little motors that help move things back and forth, such as Myo5b?
1: Myo5b is is another protein which is also involved in establishing uh, the polarity or getting the the vesicles carrying the transporters which are supposed to end up in the apical membrane domain to get those vesicles transported to the to the right membrane side and um, again we use this myo5b disturbed um, cell lines that that we have um, let's say as a negative control to to show that the transport process that we measure with these fluorescent substrates is really depending on the right machinery, on the full establishment of the polarity, and in those Myo5b deficient cells, the um, transport is yeah, merely absent. So, so we can't really measure then fluorescent signals in the luminal structure or the cystic structures of these organoids. Um So, to just maybe a little bit explain to the listeners on the on the on the on the radios um so we we actually we we, we would love to have really cystic structures which which would just one or two layers of cells which which are very strong lumen. But um, the lab world is slightly more complex and and difficult. So we have some organoids which are not fully solid, which has maybe only some smaller areas of of cysts and and some organoids that really show this very, very cystic ball-like shape. And um, so to to really investigate um, those features like transport, we have to investigate a lot of organoids, do semi-automatic imaging, and and then calculate um, some statistics um, to, to really measure this on a very more quantitative measures. And to do this appropriately, we need positive controls and negative controls. And um, such cell lines like the MyO5B-deficient cells are kind of our negative control in the experimental system.
0: That all makes good sense, at least to me, and at least for the moment, although I'm sure I'll need to go back and review my notes. <laughs> It's a complex topic. Now, are you able to make organoids yet that incorporate two cell types or more? We were talking the other day, a friend and I, this is the sort of thing that my friends and I talk about, we're hopeless, about the cholangioportal circulation and the intrahepatic, <laughs> colohepatic shunt, and how a return of substances from cholangiocytes as bile is modified in its transit down through the liver, provides feedback from the cholangiocyte to the hepatocyte saying, hey, you're making the wrong kind of bile, slow down, slow down on this part and step up the other part. That sort of uh, paracrine effect, again, cholangioportal circulation. Well, for that, <laughs> you'd need cholangiocytes and hepatocytes, part one, and you'd need Maybe fibrocytes, certainly some sort of vascular elements. Tell us how far. Tell us how far you've been able to take assembly of more complex mini units.
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of researches going on in, in that area, and um, when we talk about liver organoids, then we, we basically understand different things if we talk to different scientists. So. Um, I'm now more focused on the induced pluripotent stem cell-derived liver organoids, um, where we basically generate something like a hepatic progenitor cell type that then gets aggregated and that that, are predominantly kind of results into hepatocytes, but probably there there would be also some cells with cholangiocyte features. So probably the the type of organoids that we are currently generating would be something like a mixture cholangiocytic and hepatocellular cells with a predominant hepatocyte um, proportion. And Those organoids that has been invented in the Clevers lab from liver biopsies they have a tendency to be also in a proliferative progenitor cell type um, which would be also the hepatoblast giving rise to either hepatocytes or cholangiocytes and depending on the culture conditions you could get rather cholangiocytic organoids really nice spheres or more solid hepatocyte aggregates hepatic organoids or a mixture of both as i mentioned and then takebe from from japan and, and cincinnati also a couple of years ago, then he started with IPS-derived cell types, not only hepatocytes, but also mesenchymal cells and endothelial cells, and was creating, that he was calling liver buds, so the very early embryo anlage of the liver. And um, he has some inter- some strong data suggesting that this basically serves as a de- 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 developmental biology model of, of the liver and which would eventually then also yield into a more multicellular, complex um, mini-liver in the dish. And based on that technology, others also are now investigating more complex disorders like NFLD or other lipid um, um, accumulation defects and um, have promising data. So, as I mentioned in the very beginning of this podcast, Um, Depending on the scientific questions, you will start to to design the organoid model that you think would be the most authentic model that you can apply right now. But there will be changes in the upcoming future, I'm quite sure.
0: As usual, when I talk to a, a real basic researcher, the takeaway message is A, watch this space, and B, we need more funding. Got me. Well, you're nodding at me, so I think, I think that you're agreeing. We'll go with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think the localization is very important, and um, the localization of, of the cells, but also the localization of your group, the interaction with partners, and for that reason I'm really glad to be here at the ESPN meeting to interact with all these pediatricians and other scientists interested in the field.
0: Thank you very much for having made yourself available for this podcast interview. At this point in the interview... We generally ask, um, if you'd like to share with the listeners something that speaks to you as a piece of music, it could be a song, it could be a an instrumental, but something that reminds you or evokes for you where you come from, where you are, and that will mean, that will point out to our listeners who are multinational, but part of this overarching Espegans association, that uh, we all have something different to bring to the picnic. What song have you thought of for us?
1: Yeah, I thought of Lemon Tree from Fools Garden. So it comes with a, quite a surprise. And it was very popular in a time frame of, of my life that I'm really looking back with very good memories. sitting here
0: in the boring room just another rainy sunday afternoon i'm wasting my time i got my- If you'd like to listen to the song in full length, please check out our As playlist. Thank you so much. That was great. I didn't know the song before, but now I do, and I'm grateful to you for introducing it to me and for bringing me up to speed on the newest in organoids and how they're being used in hepatocellular and hepatobiliary
1: research. Thank you. It was a great pleasure and I'm happy that I could contribute to your podcast.